this life is over I'm gonna live again Gonna trade this cross for a crown No, this is not the end And when you call my name I will take my There's a mansion in glory and you're gonna meet me there. I shall not walk. I shall not walk. He will wipe every tear from my eyes. I shall not walk. I shall not walk. When he's on my side, I shall not For the Lord is my shepherd in the valley. For the Lord is my shepherd. Come on, come on, dig deep. When I'm lacking, come on. For the Lord is my shepherd. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the throne. Bring it to the cross. Come on. And I shall not want. I've got everything. Oh, I baby. Need. Come on. Your goodness and your mercy. Come on, time to rise back up. Got everything that I And I got mercy. We got all the mercy. Say, Hallelujah. If you don't have anything else, you got your goodness. I got good. Oh, no, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, did that pump you up this morning or what? Every single time I listen to Elevation Worship and Maverick City together, I am just on fire for the Lord. The Holy Spirit is jumping around inside, dancing around inside. I'm flailing my arms and jumping up and down. Uh, There's nothing like good Christian worship music to really get your soul uh moving in the morning right you know they say no bible no breakfast uh well ladies and gentlemen i'll tell you what you get that good word in you in the morning and uh you're good you're solid you're golden so welcome everybody to live lfa tv live from america tv this is the rise up godcast at 9 a.m And I'm so very happy to be here with you guys this morning, as I am every single morning. We do have a birthday in the house right now. If we can say happy birthday 
to JC Cubs fan. I'd like to do that right now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, JC Cubs fan. Happy birthday to you. Jay Gizme says amen to that. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what an incredible morning so far this morning. Um, an incredible morning of revelation, an incredible morning of, uh, of, of fellowship, an incredible morning of family and God. It's Valentine's Day. So I got to ask you, I got to ask you, uh, Eli, can you do me a favor? Can you come through here on these smaller lights and can you turn them uh, all down? Even though they're, they're down kind of, quite a bit already. I seem like I'm, I seem like I'm in the sun, like I'm standing in the sun. Um, just turn them both down, both uh, the yellow and the white. So, ladies and gentlemen, it, this morning I woke up and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about, like, my life as a Christian. And I'm thinking about the people that we come in contact with. And I was thinking about, you know, me blowing up at the, uh, the lady at the Dunkin' Donuts, whom, by the way, uh, was not there uh, for me to apologize. But that will happen. Unless she quit. Unless I made her quit. I don't know. Maybe I made her quit. I hope that's not the case. Thank you, Eli. I hope that's not the case. Um, Jeremy, why do you put graffiti on God temple? Do you regret it or promote it? I don't know what that means. Blessed for eternity. I don't know what that means. You'd have to elaborate a little bit more. Uh, But I started thinking about... um, you know, how we are supposed to act to people who are either A, way out of line, or B, um, deserve to be uh, not scolded, but definitely, and not reprimanded, but definitely have some pushback on their attitude, their personality, the way they're treating people around them. How do we do that without stepping over the line? How do we do that without doing what I did the other day and, and, and you know, basically elevating my voice using swear words or, or, or whatever? Oh, tattoos. Do I regret my tattoos? Oh, 100%. 100% do I regret my tattoos. But not because for, you know, uh, you know hurting God's temple or anything like that. The Bi- if you read through the Bible... Um, I guess you can take the, the uh, you know, marking God's temple or hurting God's temple in any... I mean, if that's the case, I guess everything that we're around in the world, we are um, destroying God's temple. The very stuff you eat every day, you are destroying God's temple. The preservatives that you eat every day, you are destroying God's temples. Tattoos are... I don't, I don't, I don't believe tattoos are a sin. I really don't. It doesn't say tattoos are a sin. And the, the God's temple and respecting God's temple is such a, uh, a, a, how do you, a, an opinionized um, portion of the Bible. What if I were to go out and what if I were to get Jesus loves you tattooed on me? Would that be a sin? That's my question. So I regret getting tattoos, not for a biblical reason, uh, although I can see why people think that and why people talk about that. Uh, but I regret my tattoos because they don't really, I mean, the only tattoo that I got, um, that I don't really regret is this one right here. This is the only one that I got that I don't regret. I regret all my other ones for, for, for my own personal, uh, reasons because they don't really mean anything. They don't really stand for anything. Um, 
So no, I don't regret my tattoos as a, as part of a uh, as for for a biblical reason. But I do regret my tattoos for a meaningless reason. I got I got tattoos that are just so meaningless. I just wish I wouldn't have got. I, I wish I wouldn't have gotten them. Um, so to answer your question, now getting back to the 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 title of today's show, I will not tolerate. What does that mean? I will not tolerate. What does that mean? And what do you do when you don't tolerate? How do you present yourself? How do you stand up? How do you, uh, how, how, how do you become that fish that is swimming against the grain, swimming against the current of all the other fish? Like, how do you do that and do it biblically? That's what we're going to talk about today. But there's no question that you should do it. There's no question that you definitely should do it. Jeremy, what does the tattoo say? That's my, my uh, firstborn son and daughter's name. Shaylin and Jaden. That's what that is. All my other ones I regret. I regret this one because it's a Zodiac sign. Definitely not good. I regret this one because I was a huge Scarface fan when I was, a, when I was younger. I don't know why. Uh, but I was, maybe because Tony Montana didn't take any crap from anybody. Um, I regret this one right here, which is Michael Jackson, which is my favorite performer of all time. I regret it for a lot of reasons. I regret this one because I got it in jail. I regret, oh, I got one on my back that I regret, uh, but I don't regret this one right here. Although this is the one that hurt the most. This is the one that hurts the most. Um, T Mitchell, Jesus loves his children. People are just not good to others judging, but God is the ultimate judge. That is a hundred percent true. T Mitchell. Yes. Yes, it is. So we're going to get right into today's stuff because I've got a, I don't want to, I don't want to waste a lot of, uh, I, I wouldn't say waste time, but I want to make sure I get through. I want to make sure I get through uh, the, the message today because there, it's, it's personal to me and um, uh, cracking me up, Jeremy. Leviticus 19, 28 about tattoos. Yeah, but we don't live under old law anymore either. So I know, that's a, I know that's an argument about tattoos, but I also know that we don't live under old law anymore. And Jesus makes all right. So um, you can erase them. Eh, you still got, it looks like then you have like birthmarks everywhere. Uh, Jeremy, Jesus made you new. The tattoos are a testimony of your previous, I, I don't dwell on them. I don't, I don't. I was literally just answering questions. Uh, Jeremy, you can have your tattoos removed. Takes time to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Faith. Trump's feelings. This is the show for me. Bring it to me. I need it. I noticed Stephen McWhorter never had tattoos before he started singing worship songs and all the tats he have now are biblical. Exactly. So, I mean, if you're professing your love for God and you get a tattoo that says, you know, John 316, are you going to go to hell for that? No, you're not. Um, Rick Russell tatted my dad's spelled his name wrong. <laughs> is Rick Russell still alive? Aspen. I, I hope he's doing well if he is. Uh, but anyway, let's get into this. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's shed all of the earthly conversation. Let's shed the conversation about, uh, tattoos. And uh, although I do appreciate the the, the conversation, I I just want to, I want to get into this and let's take a deep breath. Everybody breathe in, breathe out, do it again. Breathe in, breathe out. Now let's think of Jesus. Let's go to prayer. Check your morning newsletters. I sent one out this morning. I pray that you got got it. Let's remove our hats if we're wearing one. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Lord and Heavenly Father, today was a day of revelation uh, for myself, and I hope to pass that on in a, in, in a, um, a very coherent, godly way. To the people that are listening to this Godcast live and those who are going to watch this later on, the recorded version. Lord, today we're going to be talking about standing up and not tolerating terrible, bad, and evil things in our lives. We all tolerate way too much. We all give in because we don't want the fight. We tolerate because we don't want the discussion. But your son, our savior, taught us that being a Christian is not an easy road. That you will lose friends, family. People will talk about you, disrespect you, look down on you, and judge you. But you also don't tell us to be a doormat. You also don't tell us to be a punching bag. And you also don't tell us to be a puppet. You tell us to stand strong, be bold in prayer, be bold in our daily lives, be bold in our personalities, show the works of the Spirit, and be a light for God. But you never, ever, ever mention in the Bible that we should be weak and let people step all over us. That is what I'd like to talk about today, and I want to make sure that I don't talk about it in a prideful, selfish, I'm-in-control, earthly manner. I want to do it the right way. So please help me today, Lord. Infuse me with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit speak for me today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mustache, Jeremy, what old laws do we not live under? Any law of the Old Testament, we don't live under. We live under the new uh, covenant with Jesus. When you say we don't live under old laws, does that mean we can throw the Old Testament away? No, it does not. The Old Testament has been fulfilled. That was the way then. This is the way now. All of those things then prophesied and paved the way for what we live now. The beginning, the end. The Old Testament and the New Testament are basically, you need two pieces to a puzzle. Two pieces to a puzzle. And just because we don't have to adhere to the laws of Leviticus doesn't mean that those laws of Leviticus are just thrown away. They're still relevant in the way you act, the way you carry yourself, and you still need to know why those laws were there. Those laws were there because they did not have a mediator. Those laws were there because they did not have Jesus. And those laws were so rigid and so strict and strong that, honestly, I doubt that any man or woman could have ever actually lived up to them 100%. So we don't throw the Old Testament away. We keep it all. But we are living under the new covenant, the new partnership, the new laws of Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense. And someday we'll have an entire um, segment just on Old versus New Testament and why they're both as relevant as the other. Okay, um, God in a nutshell, pretty much, pretty much. It's, it's, it's God in a nutshell. The, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are a pair. Now, um, 
speaking of a pair, today is Valentine's Day, right? Now, you may think that your heart belongs to your loved one. And you may go out and you may get flowers for your loved one. And Valentine's Day is a day all about hearts, loves, and kisses, right? Okay, I'll play the game. It is a tradition that we do here in America. But here's what I want to start doing. Let's start Jesusizing all of our holidays and traditions. Meaning if we're going to celebrate Halloween, let's Jesusize it a little bit. Let's use it as a point, as a, as a, as a uh, reason to, uh, or as a way to um, evangelize and do outreach. If you're going to celebrate Valentine's Day, then do it in a way that you're honoring Jesus and God. And this is how I suggest you do it. If you're married, you and your wife are now one person, one flesh, one heart. That one heart that you two have and share isn't for each other so much as it is that one heart is for God. If this tradition, it's not a holiday, but if this tradition that we have is all about love and is all about loving others, is this not a holiday or a tradition that we should be celebrating the love of God, the love that he gives to us? Isn't our heart as one belong to Jesus, belong to God? Not my heart belongs to you, my love. Oh, no, my heart belongs to you, my love. No, no, my heart belongs to Jesus. That's where my love comes from, and that's where my love shines outward. It is all from Jesus and the Holy Spirit and our Father God in heaven, the Holy Trinity. So when I look at these traditions and these holidays, I don't say, well, I'm not going to celebrate these like everyone else because they didn't have Valentine's Day during the days of the disciples. I'm going to say, okay, this is something that our nation celebrates. Even God, Jesus himself said, when you go to other nations, um, as long as it's not against God in any way, celebrate as they celebrate, do what they do, live how they live. So here we are in America, and we, we have this thing called Valentine's Day. So I'm going to Jesusize it a little bit. My heart goes to you, God. Be my Valentine. Will you be my Valentine today, Jesus? My heart belongs to Father God, but will you be my Valentine, Jesus? Holy Spirit, can you deliver this Valentine to Jesus for me? That's what we should do. Remember in school, Eli, when you'd have your friend give your, your crush a Valentine? Like, I'd come to you, Eli, and I'd say, Eli, can you go give this um, Valentine's to so-and-so for me? And you'd say, yeah. Right? Like a little love letter. God has my heart. Jesus is my Valentine. And the Holy Spirit delivers it for me. <laughs> you gotta love it, ladies and gentlemen. You gotta love it. So, I want to get into now the actual message of the day. So, you might want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 101. And we're going to read from Psalm 101.5 all the way to Psalm 101.8. I feel like I'm not being... Is my microphone okay? 
Does everybody want to tell me if I need to turn my mic up a little bit? Eli, you want to check that out for me? Uh, it seems like on the, on the uh, levels over here, it's a little low. So I just want to make sure. Um, all good? Okay. So the title of today's show is I Will Not Tolerate. And, one, and Psalm 101, 5 through 8 talks about that. Now, this is, the, this is the hard part, folks. This is the part that all of us can learn from. This is the conversation that every single one of us needs to not only embody and, and apply, but that we can learn from. And I'll guarantee you that not everybody in this chat is 100% good uh, with doing this. This is a very difficult thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to stand up, draw a red line in the sand, and say, no, 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 you're not going to talk about that around me. You're not going to do that around me. I don't care who you are, period. That's a very difficult thing to do, especially with somebody that's close to you that doesn't have the same belief system as you because you are risking it all. But are you? You are risking it all. But are you? You're risking earthly relationships while you're putting in jeopardy your heavenly relationship with Jesus and God. That's what's happening. By the way, Amanda Collins, I got your email yesterday along with uh, a few other people, and um, I'll be responding today, okay? So let's get into this, shall we? I want to go to the verse of the day today. Please open up your verses. I titled it, I Will Not Tolerate. So far, 800 people have opened that email. So if you're part of that newsletter on jeremyherald.com, you'll get this newsletter um, in the mornings. Not every morning. doesn't work out so much every morning. But if you are part of the newsletter on jeremyherald.com, you will get this when I send it out. I said, hello and good morning. Today is a great day. Can you feel Jesus using the Holy Spirit inside of you? Can you feel it today? Stirring up your emotions, your priorities, helping you see clearer now more than ever before. Has that been happening a lot to you lately? Especially through this show, especially through your time in the Bible. Have you noticed that you're seeing things a little differently lately? Did everybody see that short clip that I put out on Instagram and Twitter and Getter and all those places yesterday where I talked about um, the very obvious thing that's, you know, basically uh, staring us right in the face uh, with, with the, uh, the insurrection and, and how that couldn't even have been possible. And it was such a common sense way of looking at it, and I've never heard anybody break it down like that. The reason I'm bringing that up is because isn't it weird that you don't see things that are right in front of your face sometimes? Isn't that odd? Even though it should be common sense, should be common knowledge, everybody should see it, but nobody does. But lately, you've been starting to, I can see clearly now the rain is gone, right? I can see all obstacles in my way. So I feel that's happening a lot to me lately. And I kind of want to, um, I, I, I just want to know if you guys feel that same way as well, I guess. Now, let's get into the verse of the day. Psalm 101, 5 through 8. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, gossip. And you hear me every day right here on the show. Share the gospel, not gossip. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret 
I will put to silence. Now, that doesn't mean kill them, okay? What that means is you will stand up if you hear something wrong. You will stand up in the face of gossip and say, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, do you know what you're saying if, if, if it's even true? Kittenhead, no, I'm not on Twitter, but LFA TV is on Twitter. Uh, Twitter at LFA TV US, okay? Make sure you guys all follow LFA TV at LFA TV US on Twitter. First of all, you should say, whoa, do you, are you even sure that everything you're saying is 100% true? Where did you hear it? How did you get that information? Number two, stop talking about this behind that person's back. And if you've got something to say, go say it to them or I'm going to tell them so that they can confront you the way that they should. So they have a right to confront their accuser, right? Don't Jack Smith this person, right? Give them an honest shot. If you've got a problem with somebody, you go to that person. That simple. That's what we should do when we hear somebody gossiping about somebody else and we hear it. Now, nine times out of 10, most people say, I'm not getting involved. That's the worst thing that you can do. That is the sitting on the fence in an earthly or a heavenly situation is a very, very dangerous thing to do because you're a nobody. You've not picked any side. You're a wandering lost soul with no allegiance no purpose, no anything. Moving on. So whoever slanders their neighbor in silence or in secret, I will put to silence. Then it says, whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. Well, how do you do that when that's you? How do you not tolerate that when those haughty eyes and that proud heart are you? Now, I'm not saying that I embody that personality or that trait anywhere near as much as I used to. I might be 10% of where I was a year ago when it comes to that. But I know that if I even start engaging in any kind of pride or haughty eyes or anger, it, I, I love it. It's like a drug. I hate the fact that I love it. I pray so much for even that 10% because 10% is still too much. That means one out of 10 times I am going to lose it and I am going to step so far off the, 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 the narrow path that I, it's, I'm going to risk getting back on it because I enjoy it so much. Now, isn't that such a stupid thing to say? Here it is. I know the problem. I'm doing everything I can with God's help to not have that problem. But even a morsel of that problem that still exists, if I allow it in, metastasizes to being the Hulk. And it's not a good thing. So whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. 
So if I'm not going to tolerate it when somebody else does it, and I'm going to call somebody out, even if they're my best friend, then I need to call myself out, or I am what? A hypocrite. Eli will tell you he's my best friend. If he does something that is wrong, he doesn't like it, but I call him out on it. He calls me out on things that I do wrong. I don't like it, but we shouldn't not like it. We shouldn't push it away. We should be like, well, what do you mean? What did you notice? I didn't even notice that. You noticed that? Oh, my bad. Mimi just said she signed up for the newsletter, Eli. Mimi S123 just said, just signed up for your newsletter. Awesome. You won't be disappointed. Plus, you get discount codes in there for the store. So, move on. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land. They, that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless, Jesus, will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. That's a big one right there. That means no liar will be allowed to live in your home. What about your 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids? They lie all the time. Are you supposed to kick them out of your house? You can't dwell here. You're a liar. Get out. The answer is no. When this says, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house, it's basically saying, I'm not going to tolerate this. This is not going to happen under my roof. Period. And although I can't kick you out of here and abandon you till you're 18, I will stay on you, not only with my commands of you, but also my own daily decisions because they're only going to practice what they see. They're not going to practice what you preach. No kid ever does. They practice what you do. So be a doer as well. Don't hold them to an account. Don't hold them to a certain standard if you're not going to be at that standard. So it starts with you. Now, if you are embodying that, if you are holding true to that, and if you are working on that, then you have got to hold your kids to the same standard. No exceptions. There are no exceptions. And if you don't get it figured out by the time you hit that magical number, one eight, you are out. I will love you. I'll always be here for you. But you're not going to have a deceitful um, way about you and you're going to live in my house. Not going to happen. Period. And children, as much as they hate discipline, they love discipline. As much as children hate you staying on them about their routine, they need the routine. You're not there to be their best friend. This message is going out to the first mother of my children. The mother of my first two children. You are not there to be their best friend. Period. No exception. You are there to be their parent. You are there to be the second next to God for them. Period. Moving on. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. That means if you know somebody is lying and you don't do anything about it and you stand there and you stay on that fence and you keep quiet, you can't be, that's, that's not what God wants you to do. 
And I know it's hard. I know it's hard to call somebody out, whether they're your friend or they're, or you're, they're your foe, whether they're your coworker or your boss. If you catch them falsely making statements, you have to be the bearer of bad news to them. Well, really, you have to be the bearer of good news, but they don't know that yet. You have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And then verse 8, every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. That means anybody around you. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. What does cut off every evildoer mean? It means you're going to lose friends, family, coworkers, associates, People that you speak to, you're going to lose them. The Christian life is not a, how do I want to say this? The Christian life is not a life in which you are going to be in massive groups of people who feel the same way that you and God does. Most of your Christian life is going to be earthly, lonely, heavenly fulfilled. It's just the way it is. And you got to be prepared for that. But it won't bother you because you'll be full in the spirit. You'll be full in joy. You'll be performing for an audience of one and the only person whose opinion matters will shine upon you. So all of that other stuff, you won't even, it won't even bother you. If you lose the friend, it sucks, but it is the way it is. You lose a family member who doesn't want to talk to you, that's their loss, not yours. Got to draw a line in the sand, folks. You can't dwell among these people and let them dwell among you without drawing that line in that sand and ultimately separating from them or bringing them with you if that's God's will. That would be the better thing. Bring them with you. Hey, I'm going to leave from this current situation that we're in, this current partnership that we have, I'm a bounce. You want to come with? Or would you like to stay here? At some point, you have to take a heavenly stand in your earthly life that won't be viewed as friendly to most people. It's because they don't understand the difference between good and evil. They think they do, but they have no idea how much evil is actually in them. We only ever find out how much evil is in us through the truth of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to know how bad you have become from the inside out, rotting, if you don't have Jesus in your life. Because earthly standards are a billion miles below heavenly standards. So most are using a flawed template to gauge their goodness. Master, master, teacher, teacher. My good man, why do they call... what What do I have to do to gain everlasting life in heaven? Why do you call me good? There are none good but God, said Jesus. Good teacher, good teacher. Oh, tell me what I got to do to get to heaven, the rich young ruler asked. Jesus, Jesus' reply must have caught this man off guard, Eli. He's running up. Oh, good sir, good teacher. Good man. What shall I do 
to gain everlasting life. And Jesus said, yo, why'd you call me good? Imagine what that guy must have thought. What? what? Why did you call me good? There is none good but God the Father. And it is easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to make it to heaven. Now, again, that's not saying that a person who has money is going to hell. Because he challenged this rich young ruler to give away all of his goods, give away all of his money, and follow Jesus. Couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. I beg to differ, says blessed for eternity. I love differences of opinions. It is a way, it is way easier to walk in the spirit. The difference is like eating a healthy meal versus fast food. One makes you feel great. The other, not so much. I actually agree with that. But it's hard to make that decision to do that. Very difficult. Once you're there, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's like going to the gym. You don't want to go, really. But then you get there and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I got here. I don't ever want to leave, right? Once we realize this about ourselves, the evil that's in us, that is when we must separate ourselves from the ones who don't want to know the truth. Then we draw a line in the stand of salvation And we say, I will not tolerate this in my home or my presence because it's the godly thing to do. Very difficult. So now, let's get to the point where I wanted to discuss how we do this. Because I have been confronted in the last week with four major situations And in each situation, I had an opportunity to stand up, draw a line in the sand, be firm, be strong, but not be overly angry or disrespectful. Now, they might think it's disrespectful because you're disagreeing with them and you're putting them in their place. But again, it's not their opinion that matters. It's his. And on two of those occasions, I failed. Two, I did not. One of those occasions was at Dunkin' Donuts. I failed there. So how do you draw a line in the sand, not be a pushover, not be a doormat, but not be the Incredible Hulk? First of all, you've got to do it without negative, dirty language. You've got to do it without cursing because once you start introducing cursing into the conversation, you immediately remove some of your value. And in turn, you're removing some of his value in the conversation because Jesus wouldn't talk like that. Now, Jesus said, you're a den of vipers, you're snakes, you're liars, you're thieves. That's okay. But what I'm saying is when you're like, you effing piece of S. You got it. You can't do that. That's number one. 
you got to figure out a way to leave cursing out of it because the way people on planet Earth view cursing in a, in a um, confrontational discussion, they're looking at that as, okay, this is the game you want to play? Let's do this. Sherry says, I feel guilty because I call Biden a liar on X. That's not, that's not, that's okay. He is a liar. It's a proof. He is a proven liar. That's okay. Here's the next thing that you have to do. You can raise your voice to a point of sternness, but you can't raise your voice to the point of attacking them. Again, they will feel like this is not a conversation that they want to even be in. And you just lost, you've lost already. Here's a good example. If I'm sitting here talking to you like this, and I say, this is not going to be the way things are. I can promise you that you're not going to treat me like this. And you're not going to treat other people like this. This is not the way you should be in life. You should be ashamed of the way you're talking to people and may God have mercy on your soul for the language you're using, for the way you're acting, and for the disrespect that you're showing me and the people around me. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not going to tolerate it. One way or another, I'm not going to tolerate this. Most of the time, that right there is all you need. It's all you need. When you do this, excuse me, I'm not done talking yet. You... Be quiet and listen to me. Well, what you're doing then is you're exerting an authority over them that you don't have because you're doing it selfishly, you're doing it pridefully, and you're doing it in a way that is not expressing the authority of God. And that's my problem right there. I don't know how... There's, there's, a very, there's, there's not a very good filter for me from that moment to where I get from where I was before to, excuse me, shut up, stop talking. That is when it gets out of control. And that's my biggest issue. So you, got, you have to draw a line in the sand when people are lying, blaspheming, disrespecting, cheating, stealing, gossiping. You have got to draw a line in the sand and be firm like I was in the first message that I said. You can't do it. Once you go beyond that, the the red line doesn't even matter. What you stand for, you no longer stand for. See what I'm saying? At least not in that conversation you don't. You make it go from valid to invalid with your own prideful, I want to control the situation. Now, Unfortunately, and fortunately, unfortunately, none of us are perfect. Fortunately, none of us are perfect because it it helps us rely on God. It helps us rely on Jesus. Unfortunately, no one, none of us are perfect, so we're always going to fall. Every time. We're always going to have some kind of regret that we have to say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So again... Rise Up episode 292 is all about taking a stand. I will not tolerate being firm, but also being the ambassador that he's put you here to be. Think about this. Do you think Jesus 
would look at everybody and say, and, and do what I did, the screaming, he'd be firm. Pam, Jeremy, I always signed up for your newsletter, but it doesn't come anymore. Do we need to re-sign up? I don't know. I would check all your other folders. I sent one out this morning. So if you didn't check this morning, I would check this morning. But other than that, yeah, I guess re-sign back up. I don't know. The eye of the needle never made sense till I heard a pastor explain it. Yeah, I know. Jesus, Jesus didn't always explain his parables either. You know what I mean? He, sometimes he left it up for your thought process to try to gauge on what he could be talking about. And sometimes he did explain his parables, you know? Um, I find myself cursing when frustrated when I'm by myself. And I'm like, you're doing it in front of Jesus. I asked him to help me stop using that, or using that when frustrated. Amen. I have a video to show you before we close out today. It's from Frank Turek on this Valentine's Day. And then um, I, uh, it's eight minutes, so we probably won't get through it all, but we'll get through most of it. Let's go to this now. The scribes, um, when the New Testament was handed down person to person. Yeah, excellent question. There are errors that we know about. Why? Because we can compare the documents, we can compare the manuscripts and see where the errors are. In fact, let me see if I can show you a representation of that because it's better seen uh, than it is described. Here it is. Let's say you have, here's the original, which we don't have. We don't, at least we, we, we don't think we have any original documents, okay? So they're all copies, okay? Uh, and let's say you find four different copies. And in the first copy, you see an error right here. And then uh, another copy, there's another error right there. In the third copy, there's another error right there. And in the fourth copy, there's an error right there. Can you reconstruct the original? Yes. Yes. And that's what scholars do. The original, this happens to be Romans, 6, or Romans 3.26, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, the note here is the New Testament documents have far fewer variations than this example. So, yes, sometimes scribe made mistakes, but in virtually all cases, we know what the mistake was, and we can correct it by comparing it with other documents. Now, you might say, why wouldn't God just, if this is true, why wouldn't he just maintain the original? I'm speculating here, but I think one reason, well, two reasons. Number one, if we had the original, we might venerate it. We tend to venerate things like that, right? But number two, if I had the original, what could I do to it? I could alter it, right? But if you had a copy, 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 and I had a copy, and I changed my copy, is everyone going to know who changed their copy? Yeah, because when you get all your copies together and compare it to mine, you go, Turek, you heretic, why'd you do that? Field of Greens commercial. No. I do right? not feel So of by greens not up. preserving the original, you actually are able to preserve the original better. So what if the error is not that simple? Like, what if it's a, it's a, a difference in concept? Um, so if we have these copies and say copy one gets 12 copies, copy two gets 24 copies, and then you've got copy four that gets 400 copies, mm -hmm. but copy four is the incorrect copy then how do we justify truth in that, as well as how do we justify the truth in Jesus' exact words when we didn't hear them ourselves? Okay, there is no significant doctrine, theological doctrine, 
that is affected by any variant. And who admits this? Bart Ehrman himself. Okay, so Bart Ehrman, the great skeptic, admits that the New Testament documents are reliable. In fact, let me, let me show you a quote from him because this quote is very uh, right on the money. You know, he wrote the book Misquoting Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of this book, but in 2005 he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, a popular book uh, in which he tries to insinuate that we can't trust what the New Testament documents have said. Yet the very same year... 2005, he wrote an academic work. He updated an academic work with his mentor, Dr. Bruce Metzger from Princeton University. In fact, Metzger was the top manuscript scholar of the last century. And in that book, he agrees with Metzger that the New Testament documents are copied accurately. Now, why is he coming to two different conclusions the same year, same evidence? The only thing I can speculate is, when you say to the academic community something wrong, they'll correct you on it. But when you say something wrong to the lay community, they don't know any better in most cases. You can sell a lot of books when you say the New Testament documents aren't copied reliably. That gets you a review in the New York Times, gets you on the Colbert Show, the John Stewart Show. You sell a lot of books. Right, what's that? A textbook to be studied. We're studying Ehrman now. You're studying Misquoting Jesus? Um, no, his textbook, um, the New Testament. Okay, well, that one that he co-wrote with Metzger is actually good. But this one, this one, now here's what he says. This is in the appendix of the paperback version. So this comes out a year or two later from the original Misquoting Jesus. He's interviewed. And in the interview, here's what he says. Check this out. This is a quote from the book, page 252. He says, Bruce Metzger is one of the great scholars of modern times, and I dedicated the book to him because he was both my inspiration for going into textual criticism and the person who trained me in the field. I have nothing but respect and admiration for him. And even though we may disagree on important religious questions, he is a firmly committed Christian and I am not. We are in complete agreement on, the number of, on a number of very important historical and textual questions. What are they in agreement on? If he and I were put into a room and asked to hammer out a consensus statement on what we think the original text of the New Testament probably looked like, there would be very few points of disagreement, maybe one or two dozen places out of many thousands. The position I argue for in misquoting Jesus does not actually stand at odds with Professor Metzger's position that the essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. Well, why would you write misquoting Jesus then? Not you, but Bart Ehrman, right? Why is, I mean, the book maybe should be called Misquoting Ehrman because he doesn't even agree with himself. So it seems that even Ehrman, when, when push comes to shove, admits that we do have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents. Now, your second question is, how do we know verbatim what Jesus said? We might not know verbatim what he said because there are no quote marks in Greek, so we're not always sure exactly if it's a quote or if it is a paraphrase because Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic yet the documents are written in Greek but that's okay you can communicate truth in, in different languages and you don't have to be exact with what he said you can get the gist of it in fact Jesus said he was an itinerant preacher he probably gave the same talks in several different places right I mean if you followed me around I go around to different campuses I give the same presentations over and over again but I might say things slightly differently in one place than another place. So maybe one guy heard it one way, another guy heard it another way. We have the gist of what Jesus said, and that's really all God wanted to uh, tell us. Also, uh, you might 
imagine that at those times, people had highly developed memories. They could memorize complete books. We can't even remember our phone number because <laughs> we have all these devices that remember it all for us. So these people were an oral culture, and they memorized things quite well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Grace. I think that is a great uh, question. I don't think that was a, um, an out-of-line question. I think it was a great question. How do we know that the errors in the Bible um, don't discredit the rest of the Bible? And I think Frank Turek always does an absolutely amazing job at basically teaching. He uses it as an opportunity always to teach. And uh, that's what I love about, uh, about Mr. Frank Turek. Um, all right. We're getting ready to end, folks. But I want to read something to you before you go. Tonight, pray before you sleep. If you haven't, if you don't, don't forget. Make it a part of your day. Pray before you go to sleep. Ask the Holy Spirit to come over you and put you at a peaceful rest. Let God handle all your anxiety and all your worries. Don't stress about what you did. Think about it, yes. Repent on it, yes. Give it to God and go to sleep. Don't go to bed stressing. Go to bed praying. Go to bed tonight trusting God to fix whatever your situation might be. You can't, he can. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight. So tonight's prayer, dear God, I am feeling uncertain about what I am facing in life. Please guide me and help me to cope with what is unfolding. Please also grant me the peace that only you can give. I know that I can put my trust in you. Please help me to wake up with a fresh, renewed perspective. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Don't forget to rumble this video on your way out. Share it if you haven't. I love you, Mike Crispy, coming up next. God bless each and every one of you, and I'll see you at 11 for two hours. Have a great morning. Yes.